Hello, and welcome to Bijou Banter on KRUI 89.7, Iowa City's alternative radio station. My name is Calvin Leslie. I am Emily Stagman. And I am Philip Rinia. And we are here today to talk about two movies, Judy, which is currently playing at Film Scene, and The Witch, also known as The Vavitch, which <laughs> played at Film Scene, I think, three years ago? It, it came out 2016. in Yeah. And for longtime listeners of Bijou Banter, they talked about it three years ago, but none of us were on it then. So we're going to talk about it anyway, because it's spooky New season. opinions. <laughs> All right, so why don't we start off with Judy, which is a biopic of Judy Garland, um, starring Renee Zellweger and directed by Rupert Gold, and it focuses on her last real stretch of concerts before her death. What'd you think? Um, it was definitely a tearjerker for me because I had, I mean, everyone has this idea of Judy Garland in their mind and it's usually Dorothy Gale. Um, and that's about it. <laughs> um, and I really think the, the film makes it very clear that Judy was not necessarily always feeling like Judy or that she had, or that she wanted to be Judy, whatever that face was. Um, it wasn't her. It was something that people forced upon her. And she, though she enjoyed performing, that's clearly, that's obvious in the film, but the motivations behind why she is performing were not always hers. And so um, that was definitely an emotional ride for me through the film, just realizing that this child star um, kind of followed the, the path of most child stars that we see nowadays, but back then without all of the social media and stuff, she kind of, it was more of a hidden thing and um, she definitely had to go it alone. Yeah, there was no TMZ back then. Right. Um, there, there is a really good line um, partway through the film where Judy herself says, um, I'm only Judy for an hour every night. And then I guess she doesn't say it, but the rest of the time she's Francis Gum. And so mm -hmm. I, I really liked that part. Um, I this film was definitely a tearjerker for me as well. Um, I left the theater and I was immediately like, I have to wipe my eyes so that no one can see this. Um, yeah, I lot lots of really weird feelings coming out of this film. Um, it, it was incredibly interesting, and I had been told that it was like depressing, but to see all of that laid out in such a way. Yeah, it was. Um... It was much sadder than I expected a Julie Garland movie to be, but weirdly triumphant in moments, too. And yeah. it didn't focus on what I thought they were going to focus on, because even the beginning, like the opening scene is of young Judy Garland on the set of Wizard of Oz and a real creepy, pervy studio exec basically telling her, there's always someone prettier, but you got a voice. So... um. I thought it was going to focus on that or have more of that, but it basically just cuts right from that into her like last concert series. Maybe maybe it's like weird of me to say this, but I'm very grateful that in all of those scenes with that studio exec there was no like outward sexual assault because that was definitely what I was expecting. Right. It kind of framed it that way, um, especially when they were in that weird barn thing and he yeah. closes the door. I was like, don't go in there. Run for your life. Or but he um, like, puts his hand to her heart and just sort of rubs and it's like, Bleh. Right. Very pukey. 
in that scene. Um, I did appreciate the flashbacks just generally, though, um, as kind of a an explanation of why she started taking these pills and why she feels as if she needs to needs to have them to to perform and to sleep. Um, and she it's she's dependent upon them um, throughout the entirety of the film, basically, unless she has what she calls her cure, um, which is her new husband. Yeah, I do wish or I find myself wishing that they'd either leaned into them a little bit more or leaned out just a little bit because at times they seem thrown in there just because they needed something to sort of transition. And every once in a while they worked really, really well. Like towards the end, her walking off of stage with young Mickey Rooney and him going to get dinner and her sticking around just to hear the audience cheer for her was really cool. But at the same time, I feel like one of the most famous things about Judy Garwin's story is that she was forced to take like diet pills and stuff on the set of The Wizard of Oz. So I feel like they could have maybe either leaned into it more and we got more young Judy or just sort of exposited that and backed off. I feel like they did kind of exposit that and back off though because, um, I mean, there is the point where she just wants to eat a burger and... Mm-hmm. Um, is that her mom? That's oh no, that's okay. like that's oh, like her event manage. That's like her stage manager or whoever, because the same woman comes back later and is forcing her to get up off the couch, and yeah. she's begging her, "Please, I need some sleep." And she's like, "That's not my department. Like, I just need you to be up and over here." Yeah, and well, then the, the manager she um she says, "No, you can't eat. Where we can't have Dorothy putting on five pounds in the middle of the production." And she, like, gives her the diet pills. And so I I feel like, yes, it was sprinkled in there maybe a little bit too much, but also I feel like it really was grounded in making sure that we, like, sympathized with this person who really didn't know how else to operate. True. Admittedly, my criticism there may just come from my expectations of the movie and not anything within the movie itself. I definitely did not expect it to be so dark, I guess. Um, but again, I didn't know very much about Judy Garland's history before the the film. Yeah, um, especially, like, I didn't know she had so many husbands. that They all repeatedly ended horribly for her. And that whole side story with, or not side story, I guess it was sort of the main driving force behind her, but her kids wanting to stay with, one of her husbands over her was just heartbreaking. That scene time. was awful to watch um, because she, you see, I loved her sense of motherhood and how she, you see how much she wants to be a good mother and you can see that she has the skill set, I guess, and the um, the empathy for it, but she just is so caught between um, feeling like nothing or having to overbear herself to be something and to keep her career going and to be a mother, she has to do her career because there's no other way she can get paid at this point. Um, And so it was really interesting to see that struggle between her wanting to be a good mother but not being able to because she doesn't want to perform and then having to perform to be a good mother. But in that, she's still not able to be the best mother she can be because she can't be with her kids when she's 
off performing. And that whole scene too, um, I feel like that's where I, that's one of the two moments where I felt like Renee Zellweger's inevitable Oscar or at least Oscar nomination was really earned just because you see this sadness in her face, like when she's talking in the phone booth, but it barely comes across in her voice. Right. And there it's just so clear that she is a master of using her voice, but she's still like so deeply hurt by what's happening around her. I also saw that in the scene where she, um, she goes into the wardrobe in her children's room to get away from them and kind of show her true emotions in this enclosed space. And then her voice doesn't show it again. Like she's in there and you can see she's visibly upset and she had to step away from her kids, but she turns it into a game. She's like, oh, like I'm going to live in here. Ha ha ha. Um, saying that she's going to have to leave and move to London, but, and then she pulls them out of their sorrow, but she's in there kind of breaking apart. (laughs) I'm just very, I'm remembering it, and now I'm just very struck by just how heartbreaking that entire bit is. Um, I I don't even know what to say. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't even really notice that in the wardrobe scene the first time it happened, but now that I'm thinking back to it, like, that's exactly what she wants to do. She's like she she's trying so so hard to be a good mother. Like like harder than so many parents in so many other movies. But she even if she gives 10,000%, she will never be able to give her children the life that she wants them to have because she has to perform. And that, like, I felt sick in the theater just thinking about it. And the fact that the man who gets to keep the children is the cause of her having to perform um, because he'd spent so much of her money and gotten her into so much debt beforehand. Um, and so she's kind of destitute. And he's he has this house and he has all of his fancy things that he's sitting on from the money that she'd already made. But... She's has none of it. Also, newfound information from the film. I had no idea that Liza Minnelli was Judy Garland's daughter. Yeah, she was also incredibly against this movie getting made. Very, really? Sure. Yeah. Hmm. I was wondering, I kind of got that sense because um, one thing that's framed in the movie, I could see her not um, liking very much is that um, Mickey, the guy that she ends up with and then who kind of destroys her positive outlook towards the end of the film, um, she it's set up that she meets him at Liza's party. And so I feel as if, and Liza like leaves her with him. So I feel like that's something that she probably was like, mm, I'd rather not have that in there whether it's true or not i it's probably just hollywood um that scene and so i probably (laughs) wouldn't appreciate that if that was insinuated that i had kind of set my mother on this path um or i just partied with my mother when i when she has this problem um and also i was wondering why there weren't um photos of the real judy garland or um 
like little clips of her performance or something because usually with a biopic there's some sort of oh here's what they looked like um, at this point in time as opposed to you seeing the actor um, here's just shots of them like at the show or with their children something like that I was expecting that towards the end of the film but it was just she died six months after the events of this film and I was like oof okay there's probably some um some anxiousness or anger towards the making of this film if there's nothing like that included maybe there wasn't um a sign off or consent given for the photos to be shared something like that because I was definitely expecting like a follow-up like scene or like something in the credits um with actual photos or videos just in general I feel like if I were Liza Minnelli, I'd be doing a lot of things, but um, I would mostly be concerned because, like, yes, this film is very sympathetic to um, Judy, like, as a whole, but it also really doesn't paint her in the best light because it shows her as a human, and so I think I would also be really nervous about that. Um, I guess it's... I wouldn't want to be depicted as going to my daughter's uh like huge party and meeting a guy and so I feel like if anything Liza might have also been concerned about um just how this makes her mother look yeah and it also doesn't paint her as someone who's totally in control of like anything that's happening around her throughout the film she's constantly like you're never quite sure what she's going to do next just because right. it's clear that this concert tour is sort of bringing her right to the brink of her sanity for most of it. And I feel like a lot of that gets portrayed and shown in the musical performances, which I thought were awesome and incredible. And Renee Zellweger sang live for this movie, which is wow. impressive. Well, she was in Chicago too, so she can sing. <laughs> But just the, I thought she sounded like Judy Garland, and I thought that was really impressive. The performances in general, I guess I'm on the opposing side, they sort of took me out just because it was like, like we didn't really often get to see Judy just performing. It was like, yes, Judy is performing, Judy is singing, but also she's looking like she's having a panic attack on stage. And I, I just, I wanted her to have that bliss for a minute. That's why I loved um, one of the final, I think it was just actually the final performance when she asks um, the guitar guy, the guy, she, the man she calls a peach earlier, um, to uh, which that was hilarious how that's what got her out of the dressing room. She's like, that peach is not going to take my slot tonight. Lonnie Donnelly. Yeah, Lonnie Donnelly. Um, but he allows her to go on stage and she takes that moment and you see that like she truly does love performing and but this performance isn't, it's it's more of a goodbye and more of a, um, it's a plea to please. Apology. Yeah, it's an apology and a plea to please don't forget me, don't hate me, I'm still your Judy. Um, and and she, it's one of the most beautiful performances in the entire film, I think. And then, you fi and then finally she sings um, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, um, which I was waiting for <laughs> the entire time. Open. Right, Absolutely. and then everyone sings for her and with her. That was so beautiful. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break for a PSA, but we'll be back talking about Judy on Bijou Banter in a minute.
All right, we are back with more talk about Judy on Bijou Banter. We were just talking about the second to last and the last musical number within the whole film, which that last musical number, like I'm projecting this movie at film scene and every single time that it's about time to get the lights up for the credits, that musical number's playing and I'm very happy about it because it's so fun to watch just because the kinetics of Renee Zellweger doing very like 40s musical poses with some of the fastest camera movements that I've ever seen <laughs> is awesome. So yeah, that's the main thought that I had coming away from Judy. But um yeah, one of the things that that last scene like weirdly reminded me of and I've distracted me from the film was when they sing Somewhere the Rainbow back to her when she can't go on. It reminded me of a scene in Bohemian Rhapsody where he's singing Love of My Life and the crowd in Rio starts singing it back at him. And it distracted me a lot just because, I don't know, I felt like it worked a little better in that movie. But that, In Bohemian Rhapsody? Yeah. Oh. Hmm. I don't know I, why. I liked, um, I think it is kind of like a little gimmicky, I guess. Um, I don't know if that actually happened in real life, but I do like how it connected with the two men that started mm-hmm. singing because they were such diehard fans and, of course, they wouldn't want her to feel embarrassed or sad in this moment. Um, who knows if anyone else in the audience cared because, I mean, everyone in England is supposed to love Judy Garland. Everyone at the show apparently loves her so much, but they still booed her and threw things at her mm-hmm. um, when she was uh, showing her true emotions on stage, um, which... I thought was interesting, like the drunkenness and um, just being high or whatever. Like, I get that. <laughs> like, you'd be disappointed in a performer and you'd be booing that. But when in the moment where she's not too drunk, but she gets angry, um, I thought that was just weird um, that the audience would not kind of sympathize with her in that moment um, because she's so, like, distraught and she's pleading with not pleading with them but she's trying to reason with them and say like if you were up here you wouldn't want to deal with you either like how about you get up here and sing this song and deal with um whatever reaction people throw at you um so i thought that was cool but i did like how the um the kind of diehard fan thing came back at the end with the two men who stood up and started singing um for her because it just seems it seems special to her because with those two she was able to be um Francis Gum and and they were just completely supportive of her and, and her of them. So and they got everyone else to join in. So that was really sweet. I feel like how the audience um treated Judy when she was like drunk on stage and high on stage, um I feel like that's just sort of reflective of how, in general, we as audiences tend to treat uh, performers and especially female performers. Um, I mean, even just looking at everything that has happened in Britney Spears's life, right? Um, I feel like this was a very accurate depiction of just in general how we tend to treat these people and I feel like that was a very reflective moment in the film right she doesn't have any she can never do anything for herself it's either for 
the people at the theater or it's for her fans. Um, that's another reason why I really enjoyed that last scene because it was it was for the fans, but it was for herself too. And then the fans kind of made it for her. They turned that around and they the hurt them singing made the situation about her. Um, so that was really nice to see. But yeah, throughout the rest of the film, it's very, very centered around who's going to get paid, who's what motivations does everyone else have for this. Um, and you can tell that even though that that is so strong, that even when people do have kind of an emotional tie or they um, feel bad about it, they're still kind of sucked back into that. So um, especially you see that with the husband, um, the well, the fourth or fifth, one of them, the last one, <laughs> the um, one who comes to England to like yes, hang out with yes, him? you yeah. see that with him, um, and then you see that with uh, the manager or the woman that's corralling her in London through the entire time. You see her have these moments where um, she's feeling for Judy and she, she's tearing up, like she feels bad for her, but then she still shoves her on stage after she says, I can't. And she still drags her drunkenly um, to the show. And she fakes, that was a ridiculous scene. <laughs> that woman was, the makeup artist was faking it to be a doctor. And she's like, no spots, no lesions or whatever, or, or yeah, no fever, no spots. It's fine. So it's like, even if she was, on, on her deathbed, they'd shove her out on stage. And so that's just, it was really sickening to me. Um, but that's, that's, that's the music industry and oftentimes the film industry. Yeah. I guess if I can hop in, I didn't take it a, the same way that you did. I guess um, I, I felt like it was more so that they knew, uh, I'll frame it in like a story of my own. Like whenever I was, when I was in elementary school, middle school, um, every year uh, winter break would end and I would immediately be like, oh, mom, I'm sick because I just didn't want to go back. And I feel like this is sort of the same thing where they knew that Judy could actually do it. They had the faith in her to be able to do it. They just knew that she was she had to get over her nerves. And so right. I guess that's how I read the stage manager and all of her actions. The stage fright. Yeah, yeah I, right. I felt like it was stage fright and just in general, they detected this lack of faith that Judy had in herself and they said, nope, you're going to get over that right now. I agree with that um, in the first scene when she fir when she does her first performance and they shove her out on stage and they go to the hotel to get her. Um, but I disagree when it comes to uh, when she calls the man a peach and that's the reason she goes out on stage because in that scene she it's completely because of um, the intoxication and the 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 pills or whatever and she's outside um, the woman's looking for her and she's um, she's has anyone seen Judy and she finds her outside and she's inebriated and um, and she and she kind of they have this altercation and she's like you don't care about me like you came to look for me but you don't care about me you're not my friend um, you don't care what I'm going through right now and that's just that's a scene filled with emotions about her children mixed with drugs and pills and all of this stuff all of her issues kind of come to a head at that point um but then the the woman that's in charge of her is just like i don't know what to tell you <laughs> um i'm not who you think i am um good or bad 
I just need you to get on stage. And so she goes on stage. Yeah, I think also the difference between those two scenes is really highlighted by just her body language once she gets on stage. Because when she gets on stage the first time, it's a wall has sort of come down between her and her problems, and she just is Judy Garland for the next however long. But when it's actually an issue and when she's actually got drugs and alcohol in her system, she goes out and she still brings everything with her, and it's completely different. But then the last time, she brings everything with her, but she manages to make it into this fantastic performance, which I thought was done really, really well. Mm -hmm. What did you think about the scene um, where she went to the, um, the two men's house? The couple's house. I thought that was a really cool way to um, sort of show how to bring in her. I'm not sure how much of an activist she was, but her support of the LGBTQ community into it. Because to sort of shoehorn in someone mentioning it would have felt very much like a we have to include this because we have to include this. So here we go. But with this given how much it ties in with the plot and how that's the only real human connection that she has throughout all of her time in London. I thought that was really well done and really funny and really just human. And I feel like this film did human really well throughout the film. Right. I liked the subtleties um, of that scene and how you see how much she desires to have just simple um, human interactions with people that aren't seeking anything from her as Judy Garland, um, because she seeks comfort in the man who becomes her husband, Mickey. Yes, but one tiny thing that I noticed was she goes to these this couple's house and stays up all night and eats and eats like these gross eggs with them, <laughs> um, the creamy eggs, and then sings with them and does all of this. But then with the man, she refuses to sing. For him, she's like, you're performing for me. Like, I'm not going to be Judy for you right now. Sorry, but he's asking her to. And then later on, he's, oh, like, we need to get you all dressed up. You need to eat this. You need to eat that. Eat these eggs. And she's like, no, I'm not going to eat this. I'm going to try and wear this. And he puts down her outfit. Um, and so I like kind of that contrast with this couple is kind of the only time these people who are completely removed from her um, I guess career, they're her fans, but they're not, they're not wanting anything from her. They just want her to be herself. Um, even that was, um, I guess just in such contrast with everyone else and even the people closest to her, the man she ends up marrying wasn't even someone she could be completely herself around. Yeah. All right. We've got about two minutes left. Final thoughts on Judy. I give this two red ruby slippers out of two. Um, I will say that it did um, make my seasonal depression into just depression, but in a very well done way. Right. I'm going to give this five gold bricks. <laughs> um, yeah, it was very, very good. Um I wasn't expecting a whole lot out of it when I went into it. I'll be honest. Um, I thought it was going to be very boring, um, and it it definitely wasn't. I I learned a lot, and I 
I definitely cried. And so um, I would recommend it to anyone that would like to go see it. Anyone who's a Judy fan or even if they're not, it's it's very it's, it's very informational and um, educational about the um, the film and music industry and what it does to to people who start out in it and even if they kind of break into it, what it does to a person. And that shows that people are people, no matter what. As long as they're in a crying mood, mind you. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, I'm going to give this a B plus or an A minus, but in the little old land of Oz, just so I can keep on theme. <laughs> um, and the real reason that I'm wavering is just because of how human everything seemed. Like there's one moment which didn't warrant any discussion because it's like 10 seconds long, but it was my second favorite part of the whole movie where she walks in on her piano player and he's just singing somewhere over the rainbow under his breath. And then he stops and they move on and it's never brought up again. But I thought that was just very real and very human. All right. So we're going to move into the weather just a little bit, five seconds early, and then we'll be back with more Bijou banter after the weather. All right. We are back with more Bijou banter. Uh, we are going to switch gears here from talking about Judy, a very non-spooky season movie, to The Witch, also known as The Vavitch, um, which is a very spooky season movie. It is directed by Robert Eggers, whose new movie, The Lighthouse, is opening at film scene next week, I believe? On the 25th, I think, that's when it's opening. I don't understand the concept of time, so I'm going to say that's, that's correct. All right. I'm very excited about it. It looks awesome. So I'm very glad that we get to talk about The Witch, which also stars Anya Taylor-Joy, Ralph Ineson, Kate Dickey, and Harvey Scrimshaw. You've probably only heard of one of those people, but they all did a great job. It is a movie about a Puritan family who gets kicked out of a plantation because they disagreed on a bunch of religious stuff with the religious people there. <laughs> um, I had a question about that. Yeah? So is... um. Is the family, are they Jehovah's Witnesses and they're breaking off from this Christian plantation? Or is the plantation made up of Jehovah's Witnesses and they're breaking off because they um, are like puritanical Christian? What makes you say they're Jehovah's Witnesses? In the, um, in the scene where they're just leaving and they're on the cart and they're going going across there's this singing and it doesn't look like the family singing but you don't see the village either and they're singing about um the lord jehovah i think jehovah is just the name of god like really because in indiana jones they're in the cup for the they're in the temple for the holy grail and indy needs to spell jehovah on the floor but jehovah begins with an i not a j um so i don't think they're jehovah's witnesses i think they're just just like an old word for okay because I guess I don't know the history of um, the Jehovah's Witness, um, the Church of Latter-day Saints or anything like that. I don't know when that started. So, yeah. Yeah, my, the, the extent of my knowledge is Indiana Jones. Okay. Um, <laughs> extent of my knowledge ended with the song <laughs> in the movie. So, And also Book of Mormon, but that's not in any way This conversation um, is the extent of my knowledge. <laughs> Also, I should mention that after they get kicked out, they start a home and a farm, and then witchy things happen. The witchy things. Also confused about how fast they started this farm. I don't know. I think they were probably out there for a couple months. 
The timeline really confuses me, though, because you see them sleeping in the forest, and then in the next scene, they have a house. So I'm wondering if there's a time lapse. Now, did you never sleep on someone's trampoline when you were younger? (laughs) I did, but... (laughs) I didn't. I feel like I missed out on something incredible. You really did. Maybe back then people were just able... They had time to build houses, I guess. Yeah, you can build a house in a weekend. I mean, everybody except the twins were working on it. That's true. They were funny, though. (laughs) Bold statement. Nothing I love more than a couple of satanic twins. I will say, I was watching... The first time I saw this movie was in 2016 at Film Scene. um, Sat in those comfy couches right up front. And uh, one was terrified out of my my mind, but there was one moment of comedic relief when (laughs) the twins started singing about Black Phillip the goat. And they just go, Black Phillip, Black Phillip. And I just turned to look at my friend Lauren and we both burst out laughing. For those of you that don't know, I'm African American and my name is Phillip. (laughs) It's a thing. I I just kind of glanced over at her and she was like, oh my God. (laughs) And that kind of took me out of the film for the rest of it whenever they interacted with this devil goat character. Um, But yeah, otherwise he was definitely very creepy, especially at the end. Oh yeah. I will say I rewatched this like specifically to talk about it today and the entire time I was like, oh, are we going to bring up Black Phillip? (laughs) I took care of it for you, Emily. (laughs) Thank you. I didn't even pick up on that. (laughs) I just, in rewatching it, I was like, oh my God, I forgot about that. And I started laughing again. It's always weird to hear your own name. But in that scene, in that, just the way it was brought up, I was like, oh, wow. (laughs) Too much. But anyways, what else about the Vivage? I mean, the goat was terrifying, but every animal that they had pretty much became terrifying in some way, which I thought was really impressive. Like even the rabbit that was just sitting in the woods in a couple of scenes and looking at you. Oof. Now, did they not become animals themselves? True. You got the real analysis over here. <laughs> Asking the real questions. You did not finish the synopsis. Didn't I? I don't believe so. Witchy things You happen? just said the... Well, yeah. Witchy things happen. Witchy things happen. I mean, there's I a lot of things that happen. I didn't know that was the end happen. of it. Uh, one of their kids gets stolen, a baby kid, and so everybody starts kid. Everybody starts blaming the oldest daughter, Thomason, whose brother is having really creepy thoughts about. Um, uh, I mentioned that because I watched it with my friends this time around, and they'd never seen it, and they could not get past that for like two seconds every single time they're like this is really messed up yeah it is and it's interesting towards the end of the film when the mother kind of releases her rage against her daughter that's kind of had been building up the entire time um throughout the film um when she finally attacks her she throws her up against the house and she starts screaming at her that like you you're a whore like you're you've been Giving him Try- sluttish Yeah, looks. you've been trying to get catch your brother's eye. And, and then she mentions that her father, too, which you don't see in the film, really. You don't see that kind of there was... relationship between her and her father. There's one moment, yes, when he yeah. kind of runs out to, to um, console her after her mother's yelled at her. And he 
you see that he is willing to even put move past the witch thing. He's like, just tell me if you did it or not. Like, just tell me if you signed the book. We'll move past it. We'll pray about it. But um, but and that struck me as very like very generous <laughs> for um the situation that they were in and just the time and um what his position in the family is supposed to be. You think he would be so much more enraged with her and then he becomes that way with the twins after she turns him in that direction but there's so much more evidence stacked against her than them so that's the only place where i could see him kind of favoring her but um it seemed pretty out of place when the mother was accusing her of catching her father's eye too i was like oh whoa like what has the mother been noticing there was sorry in this like story there was one other moment when um, her mother tells her to wash her dad's linens yeah. and she like strips him. Just in general, the body language between the two was, it, it was very much like bordering the line, if not crossing it. Yeah. It was deeply uncomfortable. On purpose, though. I don't think it was a pro-incest type of movie. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, back then, that's like what people did to carry your family name and especially them saying that they came from england um nothing against the english but um we all know what royalty did (laughs) so uh yeah i think that's just kind of it's within the period piece yes for better or worse and used to make modern audiences uncomfortable and right it did that very well a lot of things used to make modern audiences (laughs) uncomfortable I mean, it basically, it doesn't open with it, but one of the first sequences is of a witch kidnapping a baby and dancing in its blood. Yeah. Is that not an average Tuesday for you, Calvin? No, but it is an average Thursday. Ah. It's just just wrong day of the week. Mashing it up. Just yucking his yums. Yeah. Scene was gross. Oof. Just every single time that the witch is on screen, it is terrifying when she's um younger i'm assuming because of the baby's blood um that scene is very different because you you almost feel drawn to her um in that scene when uh, i think caleb is the younger brother mm-hmm. yeah when caleb he's being pulled to her and kind of he's seduced by her and just maybe it's the camera work maybe it's the actress but um you feel pulled as well um i mean i think there is a gradual zoom that's worked in there but just in general like she's very inviting and it almost harkens back to the shining with the bathtub scene Mm -hmm. especially with her um her arm like growing old the minute that he like reaches (sighs) into her embrace right and she's kind of walking closer to um closer to the camera as well yeah I, and I don't think that she was necessarily made young because of the baby's blood or anything. I think that was, she just decided that that would be the best way to bring Caleb in. Right. So if she can make herself appear younger, one question I had about this, too, was, is she the rabbit? I think I wasn't sure until I was looking at a bunch of promotional materials for the movie just because I was bored and I looked it up. One of the slogans was evil comes in many forms, and it had a bunch of pictures of the goat and the rabbit and the raven. Um, So I feel like, yeah, 
she was at the very least possessing the wildlife in some way. Not Black Philip, because Black Philip was literally the devil. Yeah. Also, the book was weird. <laughs> it looked like a picture book. I was like, where's she supposed to sign her name? <laughs> and I thought that that was crazy. It, there's so many issues in this with um, women's agency, but towards the end, it's it's super apparent with um, Thomason saying, I, I would sign the book, but she she's not even saying that she wants to sign the book. She's just kind of going along with the circumstances that she's been dealt. And, and so she just kind of goes in there. She follows the goats um, kind of impetus and in going into the barn. And then when she's in there, he puts down the book and he's like, sign it. And she is like, well, I don't know how to write my name. And that's not a yes. <laughs> and he said, I'll guide your hand. And I, that was just very telling about um, her, her ability to do what she wants and to say what she wants and kind of influence what she wants throughout the entire film. Um, she doesn't necessarily have a choice. So then how do you feel about the perceived euphoria that she's feeling at the very end when she's like hovering above the land? I think that um, that definitely goes against what I just said. I liked that scene. Um, she like I don't think that she necessarily was completely open to <laughs> signing the book. I think it was more of a. It's kind of like the situation when she, um, spoiler alert, kills her mother. Well, it came out in twenty fifteen, but <laughs> when she kills her mother, it's not something she wants to do. <laughs> she's saying "I love you, I love you" while she's while her mother's beating her, and then she hits her once and to get her to stop, and then she freaks out. The mom freaks out, and so she has to keep hitting her to get her to stop choking her. And so I think in line with that, it's not something that she wanted to do. It's not something that she believes in necessarily um, because up till that point, she's able to say her prayers when the twins aren't able to. um, And she's kind of devoting herself to her faith and her father and her family. Um, But in the end, I think that she when she kind of when she signs the book i think that signals to her that it, at least it was half her decision if not more at least it was something that she was it's something she's doing on her own in a way um it's something she's doing without her family's without her family's influence over her and so i think that kind of plays into the euphoria and the fact that she's able to go then and dance and be with these other women who are kind of having the same experience as her um i think that's very fulfilling for her um but i don't think necessarily that it was her first like oh i'm gonna do this so i can be fine i'm gonna do this so i can have a great time for eternity all right we're gonna take a quick break for a grant spot and then we'll be back talking more about the witch on bijou banter Hello, we are back with more Bijou Banter, and we are talking about The Witch. Um, I wanted to jump in a little bit on the discussion we were having before the break about um, Thomason. I don't know why I almost called her Abigail. Uh, <laughs> Thomason's um, agency within the film. And I think it's really interesting that she is still being denied agency in a way because she has no other option because her entire family's dead. So she can either... Horse is gone. Yeah. She, 
she can either pretty much die out there in the woods because no one's going to help her because all evidence points to her being a witch or, or a murderer. <laughs> yeah. Or she can sign up with the devil and have fun. But it's clear that she does want to somewhat. She just doesn't know how. Like, that came out a little bit wrong, but... Well, I mean, no, I think that's pretty clear. She doesn't, she, she doesn't know how to go about it, and she doesn't know how... She doesn't even know how to sign her name. And she goes in wanting to make sure... Because she asked Black Phillip to talk to her, and then he does, and he's like, do you want to sign up? And she says, what can you offer? And he says, butter, Would dresses. Would thou like to live deliciously? I was like, hell yeah. When you put it like that, sign me up. When it's like a Taco Bell ad, absolutely. <laughs> and I, I think that moment when she's asking him to speak to her is very, um, I guess, it exposes her disbelief in this whole situation even further because, there, yes, there's all this witching that happens and there's the kind of evidence with her brother being tormented and the sibling. I don't know about the twins. Were they acting all weird or were they just trying to make it seem like she was witching them or were they actually, like, demonic? I, think, I still can't decide. I think they were actually demonic explicitly because of the songs they were singing. Mm. Because all of their songs, this is also the second time I watched it, so I knew Black Phillip was the mm -hmm. devil. Um, all of them are about Black Phillip ruling the world mm -hmm. and him being basically the ultimate force. And they, like, owe their lives to him and stuff. Yeah. Right. So and he, he speaks to them, which we don't see, but... He, they know things that they probably wouldn't have known otherwise. Well, we see them speaking to him at mm. one point. Yeah. Which is... Also, really they disappear. Weird. When do they disappear? Towards the end. You mean when they die? Yeah. I think that's because the witch ate them. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> Okay, um, but yeah, I agree with that. I did not like them at all. They were annoying. <laughs> um, I, I thought it was funny in the moment where Thomason kind of adopts that persona of the witch when she's trying to scare Mercy. That was awesome because <laughs> yeah. it's so that's such a sibling thing to do uh, to scare the crap out of your your little sister. Um, and it was smart of her to say, "Don't tell." Don't tell my parents. Yeah. Don't tell our parents about this, um, which they do. But they honestly, they hold their tongues for a pretty long time until the parents start accusing her. And then they're like, yeah, <laughs> actually, yes. You can't witch us. They said it first. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, one really interesting part about that scene, um, I was watching it with a bunch of people who had never seen it before. And they started thinking that Thomason actually was the witch just because all the evidence did point to her in certain ways. And that I thought was really fascinating because I, mm. I'd never thought she was the witch, but also I tend to miss a lot of things. So I don't know. I thought that was really cool how it even added to the paranoia of the characters. Cause in the back of your mind, you're like, well, th she is kind of acting witchy. I don't know. Um, I think I kind of trailed off earlier and didn't finish the thought I had. 
um, about the moment when she's going into the barn with Black Phillip. She still doesn't quite believe everything that's happened, even though all of the witchy stuff has happened and there's accusations made and the her brothers had gone missing and all of that. Um, but when she's asking Black Phillip to speak, she's not even expecting it to happen. <laughs> and she turns around to leave and then finally he he whispers at her. So I thought that was very, very interesting. I mean, I. it's definitely very interesting, but also I feel like why would she really expect Black Phillip to have anything to say? Um, I, I feel like if you're that religious, then it would lead you to believe that um, why would God allow Lucifer to live in this goat? Um, and also just why would I believe Mercy and Jonas in general? True. Since they're crazy. Yeah. One of the things that I thought was really interesting in this movie was it didn't feel claustrophobic like a lot of horror movies. Like, Wreck felt very claustrophobic. Yeah, it was very open. Yeah, they made a point of being like, look, it's so empty, and there's no one who could possibly help them. And I thought that was really cool. Or who would want to. Yeah. Even, like, towards the end, the dad starts to be oh, let's go back to the village and let's just ask for help. And they're like, and the wife's basically just says, they're not going to help us. Like, we don't have any food we can give them because our corn's rotting. We have a sick kid and she hated Thomason, so she was like, and Thomason's good for nothing. Right. They tried to sell her off right away. <laughs> to ever go work for a wealthy family. This sort of reminded me of hereditary in parts as well as um crimson peaks which i believe one of you watched recently did one of you watch crimson peaks recently it's been on my list for like a year and a half well i won't spoil anything but please watch it we both saw hereditary yeah what do you what do you mean by oh the how the mother hated her son i guess how the mother just continues to not believe even though the answers are sort of right there. Right. I think the, um, I also think that it's similar because the mother's always looking for a scapegoat for her grief. Um, and for the longest time, it's the son in Hereditary, and then in The Witch, it's it's Thomason. But she can, once the supernatural things start happening, she can kind of get it away from her until it's directly associated with her. Um, but when she's, when the weird things are happening and then the dad finally owns up and says like, I I took Jacob into the forest once, the first time, so he knew where this was and that's why he wanted to go look for it. Um, and also, or not Jacob, Caleb. I took Caleb into the forest. And then he also says that he stole the cup. Um, that kind of relieves some of the... Um, the blame that the mother had been placing on Thomason. And then after that, she's so incredibly sweet to her and she's so like just warm. She wants to hug her and it's, it's almost creepy how affectionate she is towards her after that, because you only see contempt up until that point. Um, But then after that, she completely 
turns that back after the father's dead. So after the father um, is killed by Black Phillip, she doesn't have anyone to blame anymore. She doesn't have anyone to blame for where they're at, for what happened to her children. Um, the cup is still missing. And so she comes out and attacks her daughter. Yeah, um, I also feel it's very similar to Hereditary just because of all the grief and all of like the mother being driven almost like perceivably insane to because of it. Um, which makes sense because she lost two kids in this movie very close after each other and in Hereditary because that also makes sense and because grief is rough. Um, but the cup did come back and I feel like the dad lied about the cup being taken by him because in the scene where Caleb and the baby come back to life as spectral visions from the witch, oh, right. in the background there's the cup. So I feel like the witch took the cup and then breastfed with a crow at the mom. That scene was so creepy with the mom laughing. So do you think that the cup was ever actually gone? I'm trying to follow. Yeah, I think the witch just took it. Okay. So, but the dad says that he sold it to get the traps for the woods. Was the dad possessed by the witch? I feel like he was just trying to get the blame off of Thomason because Thomason was about to be murdered, basically, by his wife. Yeah. All right, we've got a couple minutes left. Final thoughts, ratings on the Vavitch? Two Vs out of one W. Um, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed watching it after I had originally watched it in 2015, 2016 when I was in high school and we were all, it was a bunch of my friends sitting in an RV just like laughing at it. And so to look at it with like this new perspective years later, um, I guess I really enjoyed that experience and I personally really liked it. I know that for some people they really hate it, my mother being one of them, but I personally really enjoyed it. I will raise it one silver chalice. It was pretty good. I enjoyed it the first time I saw it, and um, even though, again, I was taken out of it um, with my name being the film, but um, I was frightened again, and so I think it just it does a good job with um, the grief type of horror that it has. Um, it feels very real, and you feel for Thomason, and so I think that's... Um, it's very effective. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm still going to give it a letter grade, but I'm going to make it <laughs> themed of the times. Mm. I'm going to give it a scarlet A. Um, eh? Cause, mm -hmm. A. Yeah. Um, just because for the second time it was still super unsettling, even though I knew everything that was going to happen. I feel like the third time I watch it, it might not be as good. Just because I feel... Now I've unpacked a lot more of it and what it means and what lines are drawn where. But it's it was still really good the second time. So still a Scarlet A. All right. And now with our last few minutes, we're going to do the thing we always do, which is to talk about upcoming Bijou events. <laughs> Such as this isn't Bijou, but it's still <laughs> awesome. If you're listening to this live, Film Scream is tonight from 8 to 8 
at film scene. You have four hours. Go. It is 12 hours of monster movies, and it's going to be awesome. This Saturday is Blood Simple. I believe yeah. so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For After Hours, which is at 10 at the Chauncey. It's going to be in Theater One. It's the first Coen Brothers movie. I don't know names or things. I believe so. I think it's at least one of their first. So get your tickets, because it'll, or if you want, get your tickets. No FCC fines here. Um, just because those tickets will probably go fast. Uh, next Tuesday is Brief Story from a Green Planet, which is our next film in Bijou Horizons, and the director will be there for a Q&A afterwards. Wow. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. And then the Saturday after that is going to be a murder mystery dinner party at the Ped Mall location for And Then There Were None. I've been calling it Master of None all week. Uh. No. <laughs> yeah, it's a very different uh, oh. media experience. But yeah, it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. And if you want to, come out. Yeah, you can wear a costume if you like. Uh, you can experience Bijou members at our finest as we try to act for you (laughs) (laughs) all right so this has been bijou banter i've been calvin emily (laughs) and i'm black (laughs) philip and enjoy the show